Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. All of our life is to stay set apart and to walk in righteousness and to walk in the light rather than going back and walking in darkness. And that's one of the things that Paul is going to deal with throughout the book of Corinthians. It says, hey, this is how you ought to live. This is how we as believers ought to live. It's not just the fact of, hey, you know, I've got my railroad ticket to heaven. I'm good. I can do anything I want. And when the time comes, I just bring out my ticket. No, that's not what we're called to be as believers. We're called to be sanctified, set apart, holy, set unto God. Not only us, but all those who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he didn't write to commend them for their holiness. Yet while his letter was written for the purpose of correction, he greeted them with grace and peace, as was customary in his letters. In our time with Pastor David, we'll hear about the purpose of the letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers. We are called to be set apart, holy, and sanctified unto God, rather than living according to the basic principles of this world. Believers are to walk in the truth. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, You Are a Work of God. Just prior to the rapture of the church and soon the second coming of Christ, to further confuse somebody when they ask you what church you go to, you could actually honestly tell them that you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, okay? Uh, but the one that meets at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, okay? No, I'm not a Mormon. But I do belong to the Church of Jesus Christ, and we are Latter day Saints, amen? Amen. Okay, but we don't take our directions from Utah. Okay. Yeah, and that would probably cause like way too much confusion, so I don't advise that. Actually, uh, one time, maybe I've told you the story, but uh, one time I had the chance to, uh, only one time, they didn't invite me back. Uh, (laughs) I had a chance to speak at the uh, Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship here in town, and uh, that's pretty much the way I started out. I told them, Hi, my name is David Landry. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then I went on to explain what I meant by that. And then I told him that I was also a Methodist because I believe that there is a method by way man can be saved. And, and I, I went on through a whole list of things. And uh, they didn't know who I was at the end of the time, and, and so they never invited me back. So Anyway, back to Corinthians. Paul actually extends his greetings. Uh, uh, not only to the holy ones, to the saints there in Corinth, but he also says to all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So who is Paul writing to? To all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, the the message of Paul's letter is for all believers. 
in all places, at all times. And how strange it must have been for those people there in Corinth to first realize that they were sanctified, that they were set apart from the rest of that vileness of of, of Corinth, that they were to live their lives as saints, that they were to walk in holiness while all around them is this immensity of perversion and immorality and, and darkness, that they themselves were to walk among that as lights in that darkness. How strange that had to be to them when they first believed and and heard that word. It's just like when you and I first become a a believer or the, the first time that we hear somebody preach and says, you know what, you are a saint. Well, no, not not me. I mean, I can understand other people, not me. Well, yes, you are. If you are in Christ, what is the meaning of that word? It means holy, set apart, set unto You are set apart from the things of this world and set unto Christ. That's what that word means, and that's what you and I are. This very same message that Corinth had to deal with in the midst of the the perversity and the vileness and the immorality and the wickedness and the darkness that they lived in, that very same message goes out to you and me here where we live in the culture and in the time that we exist. We're to be lights, gang. We are set apart, and the call of our life is to stay set apart and to walk in righteousness and to walk in the light rather than going back and walking in darkness. And that's one of the things that Paul is going to deal with throughout the book of Corinthians. It says, hey, this is how you ought to live. This is how we as believers ought to live. It's not just the fact of, hey, you know, I've got my railroad ticket to heaven. I'm, I'm good. I can do anything I want, and when the time comes, I just bring out my ticket. No, that's not what we're called to be as believers. We're called to be sanctified, set apart, holy, set unto God. Not only us, but all those who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. The beginning of the message Paul gives This blessing here, and it's a blessing of grace and peace. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as well as that, the whole introduction, that blessing is very, very common. Very common for that day, very common throughout all of Paul's writings, but also common within the culture of that day, but a little bit different in some very pointed, some very precise and, and unique ways. In the Greek culture, it was very common in that day for you to pass somebody and and they would say grace to you. It wasn't introducing John MacArthur's Bible uh, radio program. No, it was grace to you. It was the greeting that they would give to one another. That word charis, it was a greeting that, again, it, it asked for blessing of their God or God's to be upon that person. So even in that secular or that pagan culture, The pagan culture that worshipped so many gods, if they came to you, they would say grace to you. And it was the idea that, well, maybe the grace of this god or that god would be upon you to bless you. That's just part of the greeting. They wanted you to have some sort of divine favor. For the Greek, it was as common as for you and I today to say, hey, have a nice day. Or, hey, uh, bless you. It was just as common as that all, you know, on a regular basis. For the Jew or for the, for the Hebrew culture, though, 
the greeting would not have been grace, it would have been shalom. The, the, the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. So the Greek says grace, the Hebrew says peace. And again, that idea of the Hebrew shalom, the Hebrew peace is, again, this, this idea of harmony and, and unity. It's the idea of wishing somebody personal peace as, as well as safety, uh, happiness, prosperity, good health with that understanding that all of those things come from the God of Israel. So when they say peace to you, they're saying a blessing to you from the God of Israel. So unique to the Christian then was a combining of grace and peace. And so Paul, as he's writing here, he's saying grace and peace. Yes, he wants divine favor on you, that's the grace, but he also wants that that peace that passes understanding. But Paul isn't just saying one of the gods, any of the gods. No, Paul says again, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's very pointed about it because he knew that true peace comes when the grace of God has been poured out in our lives. And you see, that's the order of it. Grace first and then peace. You and I, we have to have grace before we can ever have peace. We have to have that mercy of God poured out in our life. And again, that idea of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, grace. We have to have that grace before we can have peace. And in all of Paul's letters, he doesn't flip them around. He says them the same way. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Take a look at it sometime and the only exception might be when he gets to the letters to the pastors, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. In his letters to the pastors, he says, grace and peace and mercy. Uh, and I think that's because they're pastors, and he knows that they need the extra mercy. So uh, grace and peace. Again, understanding and knowing. It's only when we know the grace of God in our lives that we can truly experience the fullness of his peace. He is our peace. Paul understood that. That's why he directs that blessing that it comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only lasting peace. That's the the only valid, that's the only eternal uh, grace and peace that we're ever gonna get. Only when it comes from the one who can fully give grace and the only one who gives us a peace different from that temporary status that we can get from the world And that's what really matters. Can we have peace in this life without Christ? Only for a moment's notice. Only for for a moment. Because there's nothing, there's no foundation to it. If your peace in this life is because there's an absence of war, well, we know it doesn't take long for war to come about. There's peace in your life because, you know, financially everything is fine or health is fine or family is fine. We know those things can change at, at a heartbeat at a moment's notice. Our, our peace, your peace, needs to be founded not on the consequences of your life and the situation of your life. Your peace, my peace, has to be founded on the reality and the truth of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That though all hell breaks loose around me, I can have peace in the midst of that storm. Why? Because my heart, my life is founded upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. That when the storms come, and beloved, we know that they come. In every one of our lives, they come. And if we're looking to have peace in, in some other way other than the solid foundation of Christ in our lives, 
Your peace is, man, it's going to be up and down and up and down. You, emotionally, you're going to be up and down and up and down. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great today. How you doing next day? Oh, I'm doing terrible today. Well, we're going to go through ups and downs. But the reality of your peace in the midst of that, hey, I'm really struggling today, but I, I know that God is in control. I mean, how many of us can actually and truly, honestly say that in the midst of the storm? I know that most of us today say, yeah, I, I can say it. I I would hope that you can say that. My prayer is that I would say that tomorrow, okay? But if my eyes aren't focused on the Lord tomorrow, if my eyes start focusing on my situation or the circumstances that surround me, suddenly I start losing my peace. I've got to keep, you've got to keep, we've got to keep. Sounds like the words to a song. Uh, our, our eyes on Christ. The next portion that he gives us, it's a long sentence. It's a declaration again of this gratitude towards God for what he had accomplished in the people there at Corinth. And again, they'd been born again in the kingdom of life, light, all of that while they lived surrounded by this kingdom of darkness. And again, I just want to keep your focus on this fact that these people were living in absolute darkness. And Paul comes in with a torch. He says, look, here's light, and I want to share this light with you. Some of them received that light, and some of them didn't. But even once they received that light, you need to understand that the world around them was still dark. Okay? And so they had to keep that light burning. They had to keep it. That's why Paul writes here in verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, when you think about the fact that we read this at the beginning of a letter that Paul has already completed and already given, he's already thought through and prayed through, if all we had was verse 1 to verse 9 of chapter 1, you think everything is fine in Corinth. Everything's doing wonderful in Corinth. Man, what a great church. What a great opportunity. But the thing is, is Paul is writing this positive end to them at the very beginning before he brings some correction. Now, I look at this, and when I, when I consider this, the, the, the thing that really comes to my mind is that even when we mess up, either as individuals or as a church, that doesn't mean that's the end of things. It doesn't mean that we haven't done something right along the way. And it doesn't mean that God can't use us. I look at this and I'm thinking, Paul is getting ready to literally drop a bomb on these guys by saying, hey, you know, I've heard some things about you guys that I'm not very happy about. I mean, man, it's reported that you guys are this. I heard from Chloe's household that this and this and this are going on. What's going on with you guys? Now, he's getting ready to tell them that. But before that, Man, he's telling them, man, he thanks God that the grace of God was given to them 
by Christ Jesus. Maybe in the back of his head he's saying, because you guys definitely need it. But the fact is, we all do. We all do. He, he, he speaks of the blessing, the, uh, of the blessing and the testimony of their lives in both their words as well as in what they do. He says that you are enriched in everything in him, in all utterance, in other words, in, in what you're saying, and in all knowledge and what you're receiving. So he's saying you guys are growing. So there's some correction that needs to be made, but we're not going to blow the whole ship up here. We're just going to uh, trim the sails a little bit and, and tighten things up here. He says, man, you guys are enriched in everything by him. With the knowledge and the understanding that they're not saved by any of their works, but it became a confirmation that Christ had done a work in them. He's not saying, you know, you guys aren't even saved. I, I've looked at you guys and I've determined you guys aren't even saved. That's not what he's saying here. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 6, the, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. It's, it's real and it's true. The whole work of the Holy Spirit in their lives was, was evident. As a matter of fact, it says, uh, you come short in no gift. Now, we're going to find out when we get into chapters 12, 13, and 14 that they were all messed up in the gifts and how to exercise them and all. We, we understand that. But yet, the same point. Paul recognized that there had been a work of God in their lives, and it only needed instruction, it only needed clarity, and again, just bringing this truth back out to them. With all of these issues, they were a people that desired to see the apocalypsis, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to it. They were anticipating the appearing, the coming, the revelation, the manifestation of the Lord. He says you are eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder. I wonder who is looking for the Lord more earnestly. The ones who have their lives together and they're, they're walking fairly closely with the Lord and they've got this great relationship with the Lord. Or the ones that, Man, on a continual basis, they're blowing it and struggling, and their life is just a battle. Oh, Lord, take me out of this. Take me home. Come and get me, Lord. Which one, you know, more earnest? I, 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 think, I think it's a pretty good race on both of them. One wants to come because, man, it, it's kind of like Enoch, you know, in, in Genesis, where Enoch walked with God, and then he was not because God took him. I think the relationship was so close, uh, and I probably shared this with you, too, that Enoch and God walking along, and one day God just simply says to Enoch, hey, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you come on home with me? And so Enoch was not, because God took him. Versus the, the individual that's, that's struggling and he's battling, he, he loves the Lord, he knows the Lord, but man, life is just a battle. Earnestly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also had a confirmation, this assurance that the Lord would complete the work in them that he had begun in them. He says in verse 8, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Reality, gang, is the work of Christ in our lives. He is the one who is going to confirm us. He is the one who's going to hold us and by his strength and by his might. 
Paul understood that it was the the faithfulness of God that we've got to depend upon. His assurance came from, as he says in verse 9, God is faithful by whom we were called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, guys, there's areas in your church that you guys are messing up. There's areas in some of your personal lives, man, you're way off base. You need to get those things right. You, you are called as a saint. You, you, are, you are one of the sanctified ones. The, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. It's time for you to, as one of my aunts says, it's time for you to pull your big boy pants up and get with the program. But I know that there's struggles in life, Paul says. He says, but it's Christ who's confirmed you. And it's Christ who's going to keep you. God is faithful, verse 9, by whom we were called. It was God's calling in our life. It wasn't our choosing. It was God's calling in our life. God called us to himself. We responded to that call, but he was the one that made the call, and he's the one that holds us. He's the one that, again, begins a good work in us and will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Beloved, we're called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And for us here, Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, uh, and again, I'm going to keep throwing this out for quite a while, maybe all year, okay? Uh, we've been at this for a quarter of a century now, and we've blown it many times through the years, okay? We, as a fellowship, haven't stepped up in some areas that we probably should have. It's easy for us to get comfortable, you know. It's easy for us to look and say, "Hey, man, we got a nice little, nice little club here, and uh, everything's floating fine. So don't rock the boat." And yet, we see the reality of what the church is supposed to be in the world. And when Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against you, what he's saying is, is they will not stand against you. He's not saying that they're they're going to come and and attack you. No, he's saying that you as the church, we as the church, we ought to be hitting the very gates of hell. That we as a church ought to be, again, impacting not only this community, but this country and, yes, this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do mission trips. That's why we do outreaches within this community. That's why we felt God calling us to, to... get a radio station and do those things. But there's much more that you and I need to be doing just personally. Personally, we're not quiet about our faith, but we live our faith, not obnoxiously. I I understand that. But living our faith out loud so the world can see the reason for the hope that's within us. And so that maybe as a Christmas, we might be able to speak to a Sosthenes and help him to understand why my life has changed. I was just like you, man. I know exactly where you're at. But Christ came, and he changed my life. You see, the simplicity of sharing the gospel sometimes even makes us fearful. I'm afraid that if I get into the discussion, I won't know where to go. Just tell them what Jesus did in your life. As someone said long ago, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Okay, And that's all we got to do. I found life in Christ. You don't got to get weird. But let me tell you, there's a dark, dark world outside of us. For them, it was called Corinth. For us, it's called Casa Grande. Open our hearts. Change us from within.
As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the Open Word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound, biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on About for information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.